In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, I want to start with a little bit of anthropology. Okay, so we know that God created us, and He saw that humanity was very good, right? He created us with different emotions, different feelings, and we call those emotions and feelings passions. Again, we typically think of the good passions, the good emotions like love, joy, courage, peace, and so on, right? But those aren't necessarily good. They're not inherently good all the time, right? For example, someone can have love for the wrong thing, right? You could love to gossip, for example. Or someone can have peace in just living a lazy life. You know, they're at peace with that. They're not serving, they're not praying, and they're totally fine, they're at peace, right? And so those emotions or those passions can go in either direction. There are other emotions or feelings that seem bad, like anger, fear, shame, sadness, hatred, for example. And obviously these came after the fall, but they're not necessarily bad either. You know, God allows these emotions or these passions to exist in our nature for a reason. So, for example, someone can have anger towards an evil thought. You know, an evil thought comes to mind and you reject it with anger. Someone can have fear, but they fear the Lord. You know, they're not fearful of death. They're not fearful of persecution. They trust in God, they have faith in God, and they fear Him. Someone can have shame, but they're ashamed in their laziness. They're ashamed to live a lukewarm life. Uh, someone can have sadness or sorrow, but it's a holy sorrow, right? A sorrow that leads to repentance, and that's what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. And so, a lot of times we oversimplify these emotions and we put them into two opposing sides, right? Like the good side and the bad side. For example, we think of joy as the opposition of sorrow, right? Or peace as the opposition of distress, or love is the opposition of hate. But that's not always the case. All of these can coexist together, right? You can have joy and sorrow, right? We know that there is a godly sorrow and it doesn't take away our joy, right? We can have peace and distress at the same time. We even see this in Christ who was deeply distressed, but never lost his peace, right? He was deeply distressed at Gethsemane whenever he was praying and, and sweating like blood, right? But he never lost his peace, even whenever he was angered at the people's sins, right? And so we can say the same of love and hate, right? You can have both of these emotions coexist together. And so all of these emotions work in our life to make us holy, Right? These emotions have the capacity or the potential to do good. That we just have to direct them. The problem is after the fall, these emotions were corrupted. Right? After the fall, they stopped serving their proper purpose. So Metropolitan Hierotheo says, According to the biblical and patristic tradition, the passions are not powers that entered into man's soul and which ought to be rooted out. It's not that we have to eliminate them or root them out. Rather, there are natural powers of the soul that have been corrupted by sin and man's withdrawal from God. And so what matters is how we use the passions or these emotions in our life. Right? The, the intention is not to eliminate them, but to sanctify them, to direct them, right? to use them in their proper place. Even these so-called bad ones. 
right? Now, what's the point of all this? Well, we know today Christ gives us a very strange commandment. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Right? If anyone comes to me and does not hate all of this, his family and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Right, so what's this hate? And does Christ actually mean this literally? I always understood it as if God is just telling us to put our family and our own life in second place. Right? Like we just push our own life all the way to the end so that it's almost like, comparatively speaking, like we're hating all of what comes second place. Right? But if you look at the actual Greek here, which is meseo, it literally means to hate. Right? And strangely enough, we see this in a lot of holy men, like David the prophet in Psalm 139 says, Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hated them with perfect hatred. Right, so David the prophet spoke of hating the enemies of God. Right? And this is a real, actual hatred. It's obviously a hatred towards wickedness and evil, but it's a real hatred. And so you can see how love and hatred can coexist. Right? We even see this in God himself. Right? He says, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Right? What is it that God hates? He hates evil. He hates sin. He hates wickedness. Right? And so one can love God and hate evil at the same time. Right? But again, the command here isn't to hate evil. Right? The command here is to hate what? Our family and our own life. Right? So is our family evil? Is my own life evil? Of course not, but let's look at this in context, okay? What's the context of this commandment? The context is discipleship, right? He's telling us to hate all of this, the family and our own life, so that we can be his disciples, right? In order to cling to him, we have to hate all other attachments, Right? We have to hate the attachments that bind us to other areas, whether it's family or even our own life. And so to hate our own life also means to hate the attachment to our own will, right? to, ha to hate our own ego and to deny our own will. Right? That's what he means. So it's not necessarily that we hate our family or our own self, but we hate the attachment to our family, the attachment to our own will. Right? Because the, the problem is that attachment itself. Right? And he mentions family because we have to renounce all attachments. Right? Attachments to the good and the bad. Like we have to renounce and hate all attachment, not just the uh, attachments that seem obviously bad, like attachments to sin and so on. Right? But we have to hate all attachments because all attachments are harmful. If I'm attached to something good, like food, for example, that attachment will cripple my spiritual progress. And you know, someone like St. Augustine said, 
I sat on top of the world when I came to fear nothing and desire nothing but you. And so this is all about freedom, right? This is all about a sense of authority above the attachments that bind us and cripple us. Right? And obviously there's no attachment stronger than the ones to our family and to our own life. Right? So Christ is calling us to break away from the most precious attachment in our life. The attachment to our family, the attachment even to our own life. So the standard he's giving us like strikes at the core. Right? So if we can manage to hate the most precious attachments, we'll manage to hate much lesser attachments. You see? So he's bringing us to the path of perfection. And we see this in a lot of holy men and women that just had no attachments in their life. You know, there are many stories in the Paradise of the Fathers whenever robbers would go and steal from monks. And after they would break in their cells and take whatever little they have, you know what the monks would do? They would run after the robbers as they were trying to escape and give them some more of their possessions. Here, you forgot one of my books, or here, you forgot one of the candles in my room. You know, they weren't attached to any of it, right? Even the good in their life, they had no attachments. They hated the concept of being attached, the concept of being bound, right? And I experienced this myself whenever I would uh, go visit the monasteries. I remember when I was young, I, I saw one of the monks in the monastery, and I, I loved his cross. I, was, I just said, oh, Abuna, that's a beautiful cross. And I just walked away. Like, next thing I know, he's chasing after me, taking his cross off and giving it to me. I'm like, I, I didn't want to take it. I just, I, I really liked how it looked. You know, it's a beautiful cross. I, I can't take your cross. But he insisted. He refused to let me go without taking his cross. Right? And that's because he wasn't attached to anything in this life. And so, this is one of the reasons we fast now, right? Food is good, and we need it, right? But we're fasting from that attachment. We're fasting from an attachment to one of the most essential needs in life. Right? And of course, we have to extend our practice of detaching from different areas in our life beyond just food. That's what fasting is about. It's not just a change of diet. It's about freedom from all other areas in our life, right? So, for example, we have to hate our attachment to sleep, right? That's something essential, something necessary, right? But what happens when we're attached to sleep, right? What happens whenever we're attached to TV? And we have to hate that attachment. We have to hate our attachment to social media. We have to hate our attachment to playing games that waste time. We have to actually hate that attachment. Not to hate sleep itself, not to hate TV itself, not to hate social media itself, but to hate that attachment. And even the more metaphysical attachments in our life, right? not just the materialistic, physical objects, but the metaphysical areas in our life, like hating our attachment to seeking validation and praise. Right? A lot of us are attached to seeking praise from others. So we have to hate that attachment. We have to hate our attachment 
distressing our own opinion. You know, a lot of us want to insist on our own opinion or our own way. We have to hate that attachment. We have to hate our attachment to the need to justify ourselves. Even when we know we're right and we just want to justify ourselves and we're attached to that need. I just have to justify myself. We have to hate our attachment to following our own plans, our own direction. So many of us insist on going our own way and we're attached to following our own will. But we have to hate that attachment. We have to hate our attachment to overthinking and overanalyzing matters. And this is a big one for me because uh, I, I think a lot, right? I'm attached to, to that need to keep thinking and analyzing, especially these last couple of weeks we're pursuing this church property and we're thinking about how to approach it and, and so on. And you know, we're all overthinking and so on. Right? But I have to hate all of those attachments. And again, it literally means to hate those attachments. It's not figurative, but to actually hate all of those attachments. And this produces real freedom. Right? When we hate those attachments, we can break away from them, and then we're truly free. Then we can unite with Christ. Then we can bind with Him. And so the old man dies along with our hatred to these attachments. And then the new man comes to life. Father Matthew the poor says, It's as if a man is on top of the world with all his emotions and willpower dedicated to God. With the death of the old man, Christ enjoys full freedom in us. He has an open way into our lives, revealing himself the way he wants to. He's with us when we sleep, in our deepest thoughts, in our conscience, in our body, in our words, and in the silence of our hearts. He moves in us and speaks with our mouth. He lights up our heart and we're able to see what no one else sees. So that man becomes an open treasure for the sake of the church. And so this produces a real change in our life. Christ lives in us. He reigns in us. We give him full freedom to do his will in our life. And in doing so, we become a source of life to others. He continues to say, With the death of the old man, man becomes clear to others, open to everyone, and belongs to everyone. He becomes a friend to all and is loved by all to whom he speaks. He becomes a source of joy and benefit to others. This is because Jesus is alive in him in all patience, love, and modesty. And... We know the people that live this way. We know how precious they are. Everyone loves the person who has no attachments. Right? Everyone loves the, the humble soul, the humble individual that lives with this freedom. Right? Think about St. Pope Carlos's life. He had absolutely no attachments. Right? He didn't care about money or clothes or his reputation, his fame. Now, underneath his galabeya, he would just wear his torn galabeya and, and his old attire. And, you know, he just put something nice on on top for the sake of the papacy and, and representing the priesthood. But he didn't care about any of this glamorous stuff. And one time, this is a funny story, but he, 
uh, he was walking with his cane and someone noticed that like, his cane had started to peel and it was just getting old and worn out. So he said, you know, Sayyidina, let me take it and just to restore it and to paint it for you and so on. He said, sure, okay, take it. <laughs> and so he took the cane and of course, like, he has the Pope's cane now, right? So um, he, he was you know, excited about it and he wanted to, to keep the staff for a little bit so he can put it in different areas of the house. And so he'd put the staff in the living room and in the family room and then in, in one of the bedrooms and so on. And every day he would put it in a different room. And then, you know, after a few days, Pope Carlos one time said, you know, where's the staff? Like, <laughs> like you, you don't need more than a day or two to, to paint it. He said, yeah, I'm working on it, I'm working on it. So like a few days passed by, you know, obviously, you know, Pope Carlos doesn't really care about the staff. He's just like, whatever. But um, finally, the, the, the guy comes back and he gives it to him. And then Pope Carlos looks at him and says, you forgot to put it in the kitchen. <laughs> but you see the, the sweetness of a man like Pope Carlos. He had no attachment even to his staff. Like, th that's like the symbol of his authority, right? And so something precious to him like that didn't really matter, right? And so <clears throat> this is the most essential first step in the life of discipleship. If you read the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus, he tells us that the first step is renunciation. Renunciation. Out of the 30 steps, he talks about love and prayer and so on, all these beautiful virtues. The first step is renunciation, then detachment, and then exile. doesn't even start to talk about all those other virtues until we learn how to break away, to hate all of those attachments. Right? When you renounce something, what does that mean? You despise it, right? You hate it. Right? So he says, those who enter this contest must renounce all things, despise all things, deride all things, and shake off all things, that they may lay a firm foundation. Right? I remember there was a, a, a priest that you know, I, I really admired when I was, when I was young. He told me a story about how like he was walking on the street and he had a, a, an iPod. You guys remember those back in the day? <laughs> I feel old, but yeah, we had those things where you actually like had to turn the dial on them and stuff. Anyways, he had an iPod and he was listening to it as he was walking in the street. And uh, a, a thief came right behind him and um, you know, started to like wrestle with him to take it. And he said, wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. Let me give it to you. And that way, you're not charged with the sin of stealing it. And so, that's exactly what he did. He just took it away and handed it to him. And so, something that simple goes to show how the, the one who lives their life renouncing the attachment to something like his electronics, you know, and I'm sure he was you know, listening to hymns or something good, but... He, he didn't really care about it. He didn't let him rule his life. Right? And that's what it means to renounce all of those possessions and those attachments in our life. Now, that's very different than just detachment. Renunciation is different from detachment. 
We can detach from something without necessarily renouncing it, right? I could detach from something without despising it or hating it, right? But here Christ says to hate those attachments, to actually renounce, to despise. Why? Because it makes the process of detaching almost effortless. When you hate something, when you despise something, the process of detaching from it becomes much easier. It becomes almost effortless. And so Christ is giving us a secret to detaching ourselves from all of these possessions in the world and attaching to Him. He's making it easier by requiring us to hate all the attachments in our life. And so, I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say you hate onions. Right? And I know that's not typically the case. Everyone loves onions, but I'm weird. I hate onions. <laughs> okay, so let's say you're like me and you hate onions. And you have two burgers in front of you. One is filled with onions. Like you can smell the onions from a mile away, right? And the other one, no onions at all, right? Which one are you more easily attached to? The one without the onions, right? It's almost effortless to detach from the one with the onions, just because you hate the idea of onions. <laughs> and so when Christ is telling us to hate all of those attachments, He's telling us to take the easy route. Because once you hate those attachments, you'll naturally turn away from them. Once you hate those attachments, you're not drawn to them. Right? Life becomes truly free. Right? And so, if you despise those attachments, you will cling to God. That's the natural consequence. That's what it means to be a disciple. This is what happens when you recognize the detestable nature of our ego. Father Matthew the Poor says, You can never be released from the old man until the light shines in your heart and the old self is revealed to you as vulgar and ugly and becomes unbearable to you. Right? So this is the secret to hating our ego. Right? And keep in mind, we can decide what to love and what to hate. Right? It's not like what we love and what we hate are totally out of our control. Right? Of course, you know, a lot of times we naturally grow in love or out of love and you know, other influences impact what, what we love and what we hate. But it's not like we have no control over what we love and what we hate. We can decide to love something or to hate something. And so we can decide to hate those attachments. Right? We can intentionally do that. Right? We can make an effort, and it requires work, right? But it has to be a serious effort, a serious, even violent effort. Like Christ said, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Father Matthew the Poor says, As with a sharp knife, cut out the habits of the old man with all its passions, moods, and obsessions. Do not have any mercy on whoever seeks to destroy your spirit and imprison you forever in the darkness of death. Do not take pity on the old man because he will not have any pity on you. A lot of times we take pity on our ego, right? We take pity on 
all of these attachments in our life. And we're soft with ourselves, right? But we can be a little tough with ourselves. We can commit to hating those attachments. And like I said, we know that list of attachments that totally detaches us from Christ. And so whatever it is in my life that's removing me from Christ, I have to hate it. I have to detach from it. Right? And that's what this whole gospel is about. And so the more we desire to love God, like the, the more we seek Him, the more we pursue Him, the more we'll crucify the old man and all our attachments. And so I'll just leave you with this example from the life of St. Paul of Tamo. And we know that he despised all comforts in his life. The cynic Sar tells us, because of his great love to the Lord Christ, he exhausted his body with austere asceticism, fasting, and many prayers in a way that exceeds human endurance. Right? This is the way he lived his life. He was very tough with himself. And he was so rigorous in his asceticism that it was in a way that exceeds human endurance. For this, the Lord Christ appeared to him and said, Enough struggle, my beloved Paul. Imagine, Christ appears to you and he says, Hey, you're working too hard. <laughs> but that's what Christ did. He said, Enough struggle, my beloved Paul. You know how he responded? St. Paul humbly answered and said, Let me exhaust my body, O my master, for your name's sake, as you exhausted yourself for mankind, and you're the true God who gave himself up for, for us, the unworthy th sinners. Because of his love, he just wanted to sacrifice. He just wanted to crucify his will. He wanted to detach from all comforts. He wanted to attach to Christ. Right? And so the Lord consoled him and strengthened him. And the story concludes with Christ ascending to heaven after comforting him. How beautiful is that? I pray that we may walk this path to truly hate all the attachments in our life and to love our attachment to Christ. That's what our life is all about, to cling to Him, to be His disciples, to follow His will and to glorify Him. And to Him is due our glory forever. Amen.